Check Me Out is a production of Panhandle PBS and Amarillo College's FM90. Partners include the Amarillo Public Library, the Harrington Library Consortium, and Amarillo College, with the support from the Anne Ray Foundation and Barnes & Noble Booksellers. Here was a thing where it sort of like all gelled for me is when um, the producer said, you know, I really like that story that you just told about the line, the witch in the wardrobe. It reminds me of when Margaret Atwood was telling us blah, blah, blah. And then George R. R. Martin. And I was like, wait, what? <laughs> I was like, what? You will know it is time to turn the page when you hear the chimes ring like this. Welcome to Check Me Out, a podcast for book lovers. I'm Amy Hart, and this week we have a very special guest, Shanna Peoples. She is a former Paladero High School English teacher and the winner of the 2015 National Teacher of the Year Award. She was picked to be on the 13-member panel for the selection process for The Great American Read. She is currently a candidate for Doctor of Education Leadership at Harvard Graduate School of Education. With her is Chip Chandler from Panhandle PBS. Chip and Shanna first met when she was an intern and he was a cub reporter at the Amarillo Globe News back in 1997. Their friendship has survived dramatic life changes, his insistence on remaining in the media, and her difficulty with commas. We are thrilled to have Shanna take time out of her brief vacation home to talk about the great American read process and her love of books. So amazing to have you here. Oh, thanks, Chip. This is this is like my favorite thing in the world, uh, an excuse to get to come and talk to you about books. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's start. What was what's the first book you ever read that you can remember reading? The first book I can remember like really loving that I actually checked out from the library is Pippi Longstocking, yeah. like on my own. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Books were really important to you and I growing up. Yeah, right? super cool. And it, I think this is true when you grow up, you know, in chaos or even if you don't, but there's a certain type of kid for whom life is difficult in a way that books provide an escape from that. And for me, that was definitely true. And, and I think for a book like Pippi Longstocking, I looked at that book and and she was unusual at the time. I'm old enough that there was really no such thing as young adult fiction mm-hmm. or children's books were, were few and far between. But she was that first example of like a girl who owned her own power. And I was really attracted to that as somebody who was a fearful little kid with a gigantic overbite <laughs> and um, who felt... Um, sort of lost in the world. And so Pippi was like the template for me of feminine power. Besides Pippi Longstocking, what are some of the other books that, from childhood that you still remember? The the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, um, the Narnia series was mm-hmm. huge for me. In fact, it's probably the fantasy that I sort of stayed with yeah. as I sort of drifted away from science fiction and fantasy, mm-hmm. which I'd really loved as a teenager. But there was something about that particular series I don't know if it's just sort of the British way that, that is, it, it has, or that, again, sort of like Pippi Longstocking, what I love about that series is that it foregrounds children as their own heroes, mm-hmm. as the ones who go into this world and they are able to make good and bad things happen. And I guess that was my first, 
I, you know, to get all intellectual about it. It was the first time I saw like existential, like choices for children, like rather than, oh, you're a kid and you just do what we tell you to do and you sit down and shut up. That's one of them. And I think the other is just the idea of a possible world like Narnia. And I think that's sort of the lure of mm-hmm. maybe comic books, fantasy, those those types of, of settings where it's a possible world. And that makes you think, okay, if that can happen, if these things can happen in that world, then they're possible in this world. So if I can become heroic in a, in a fantasy world, then there's a possibility for me to become heroic here. Did you check the closets to see if you could walk oh, all the way through? all the time. I've, I've always waited. Um, and I was a big, I was big into fairy tales and folk tales. I really loved those. And so I tried to be nice to animals, thinking maybe this will be the one that gives me the three wishes or something. <laughs> As a teacher uh, in, the, in the classroom, you, you dealt with a lot of kids who, who mm-hmm. didn't come from that kind of background of reading, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. What, what was it like working with them, and how did you encourage that to change? Yeah. You know, here's, here's something that I found to be true with everybody, what, no matter the age, but particularly with students like those that I taught in North Amarillo. They had not had a lot of that experience of someone reading aloud to them and had not had that experience of enjoying a story together that we imagined together. And it was a simple thing, but when I began reading aloud to them, they were just fascinated by, first of all, who is this middle-aged white woman coming in doing all these weird voices um, to make it come alive? And I think my greatest coup as a middle school teacher was reading the Cirque du Freak, the very first book. And kids who would miss the next class wanting to stay in here, and, and I would be like, you're, you're going to get in trouble. And they were like, I don't care. I have to hear what happens. <laughs> or kids who would be out sick, and they would come just for the class to hear that day's chapter and then go home again. <laughs> so, I mean, that's not great teaching, but it speaks well mm-hmm. of this idea that they craved story in the same way that I did and for the same reasons. Another thing that I found, particularly with the language learners, with the refugee kids, is how great graphic novels and comic books are for them. How rapidly they acquired English by being mm-hmm. able to see the action in the frame and understand dialogue just the fact that the dialogue is in a balloon they're like okay this is people speaking english the other is nice to know but the things in the balloon that's the need to know that's how people in this country speak to Mm -hmm. each other and i had this kind of crazy idea that i could turn my classroom into like a starbucks type of thing i mean now that's a thing and people talk about it but that was sort of the um image i was working on mm-hmm. in my head is how can i make this um a place where people want to come in here spend time find something that they connect with regardless of whether I like it or not but if they Mm -hmm. like it which is how the Twilight series and things like that came to be in my room didn't matter that I can't stand those books there were kids who loved that loved those kinds of books Mm -hmm. any stories of of some of those kids what what have they told you later I know you're in contact with a lot of your old students Mm. what have they told you later about Mm. being able to read in your class I was always really sort of sad 
and proud. It's a, I don't know if we have a word for that in English. It's a German but, word, I'm yeah. sure. <laughs> um, for the kids who, who were 16, 17 years old and said, this is the first book I've finished since third grade. And I think that's because I, I knew the hill I was going to die on and that that was going to be books and reading and independent reading and choice. And I didn't care what else happened. And um, I knew that for many of my kids that they worked or they took care of siblings um, when they went home. And so they didn't have that time. So me carving out 15 minutes in my classroom mm-hmm. for them to read whatever they wanted to read was huge for them. And so it, it's not necessarily a particular book. It was that they reconnected to books and also didn't realize there's all these different kinds of books that you can read. Mm-hmm. And some days you may want to go back and read all the Dr. Seuss books just because you're a senior and you're scared of having to leave and graduate. And so there's something about sitting with a stack of every single Dr. Seuss books, book and reading through it that comforted them <laughs> around this time of year. Uh-huh. I can get that. I get that. I used to be a mentor at uh, at Eastridge Elementary mm-hmm. um, for their America's America's Promise or Hosts yeah, yeah. When, it, when I started, and I loved reading Dr. Seuss books to those kids. Mm-hmm. I loved I, the, Mulberry Street. Mm-hmm. That was my favorite. I, I made sure I read that to every yeah. kid that I ever that I ever worked with in that and. Mm-hmm. It just seemed like they all enjoyed it. Their eyes would light up when you see the the accumulation of all the stuff that's going down that street. And Absolutely. I just loved that. I love Dr. Seuss. Well, and, and you're reminding me. I mean, that was those were the two books that I sent, or two books I sent kids off with um, about this time of year. When I knew, okay, so what can I sort of leave them with that that maybe will resonate with them? And one was the Lorax because mm. of the idea, mm-hmm. unless someone cares. And Hansel and Gretel, that's my very favorite fairy tale. But I love the fact that the kids save themselves, that they're their own hero. And there's really no magic involved. They yeah. may not understand the forces um, arrayed against them, like an evil stepmother and a, and a witch and all of and an indifferent father, but they're able to find their way out and, and save themselves. And I, so I would tell them, you know, you're going to have to go out and find your way through the woods and fight mm-hmm. your own monsters, but you can do it. How did you get involved with the Great American Read? <laughs> that uh, that's an uh, something I'm wondering myself. I mean, when you when you were talking to me about that earlier, I was like, how did they contact me? I think it's it's through Teacher of the Year type stuff. You mm-hmm. get certain things just because people want to be affiliated with that program. And I think they asked me, would I be on the the panel and I first and I was like oh absolutely I mean this is amazing and I love book fights those are sort of my you know <laughs> some people watch professional wrestling I like to fight with people about books um, and so trying to figure out what should and shouldn't be in the realm of the universe of considered books was really an interesting um, conversation I won't say fight necessarily but let's just say impassioned argument we've had a few around the station already about those as well yeah um so it's a 13 member panel yeah what what were y'all's duties what did they ask you to do 
We would meet through, like, not Skype, but, you know, one of those types of virtual meeting spaces mm-hmm. and sort of hash this stuff out for an hour um, at regular in- intervals. And then we would be in contact through email and things like that. Um, and it was really kind of cool that you really can form community very fast around books and around opinions about books. And we did, and that that was really cool. Um, they they laughed because my a lot of my virtual time was in my dorm room, and so they could see <laughs> my dorm room behind me when we would talk. <laughs> and they they found that quite funny. I'm sure. And so it it was a really um, a really interesting experience. I mean, the the thought and the care with which the producers and the directors of this have gone about the work is is just incredible and it makes me really happy that people are spending this kind of time and effort for reading yeah. and to promote it and to get people excited about it again mm-hmm. so there was a national survey that helped cull mm-hmm. down this list to mm-hmm. help compile this list i guess and then what did y'all come in and do after that we came in and talked about okay we wanted to also make sure that it was representative of all different kinds of american writers so you know we looked at are we representing, for example, LGBTQ writers beyond just Armistead Maupin? Mm-hmm. I mean, were there plots where kids particularly would see themselves in their experience? Had we included a Native American writer? Had there, had there been some sort of sense for you know, making sure that we have those kinds of stories in. So uh, there was a lot of that kind of care and concern that we were being not not tokenizing writers, mm-hmm. but being more inclusive of what we mean when we say American read. I was when I first saw the list, I was struck by the fact that it's not the canon. There are some definitely some names in there, some books mm-hmm. in there that you will see on on many kinds of lists like mm-hmm. this, but it is a very diverse, very wide-ranging list. I was really pleased by that. Yeah, me too. And I mean, one of the ones that um for me personally, there was a little bit of horse trading on a spot. So we got each of us got a spot to put a book forward that we mm-hmm. wanted to champion. And I had chosen Richard Wright's Native Son because it was a book that really, I think, was the first time that I began to understand what we mean when we talk about institutional racism. Like, what is that? We'd already had another Richard Wright. Black Boy was already on the list. Mm -hmm. And so one of the publishing houses that was affiliated with it said, how would you feel about moving Native Son to sort of like our best loved list that we didn't make this list and maybe championing um, somebody like Jason Reynolds, who is a young um, African-American uh, writer of incredible young adult fiction. And I was like, I could do that. Yeah. I can do that. Like the teacher in me says, absolutely. So it, it was those kinds of choices and those kinds of discussions, too, that I think made made the list even more rich and reflective of of a genuine American reader. And I've had this discussion with, with book-loving friends. This is not the necessarily the best books, but the best yeah. loved books, right? right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Twilight is on the list and Fifty Shades of Grey. Oh, that was probably the one that caused the most um, 
discussion. And I was in the camp saying, uh, yeah, no, can we please give that spot Mm -hmm. to somebody else? And they were like, no, this is what people voted. It's the best loved. Mm -hmm. And I was like, but what does that say about us as a country? (laughs) That that's our best, one of our best loved. Can we please not put something better there? (laughs) Please, anything. Um, And it was really an argument um, that we went back and forth. And and in a way, I'm kind of proud that it's on the list, yeah. um, perversely, yeah. ironically, yeah. because yeah. it proves that, um, yeah, there was no playing around with it to try to call us to our better angels <laughs> and just put the canon. Uh-huh. But like, no, what's the stuff we're really buying and the stuff we're really reading and recommending to each other? Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, that's What's not on there that you wanted to be on there? There, There's a part of me that would have liked to have seen maybe a couple of graphic novels. There's a part of me that would like to have seen a little bit more science fiction, a little bit more horror, because mm-hmm. those are the things I really loved, you know, and in my heart of hearts, I will find myself reading when I want something because I want to escape, not mm-hmm. necessarily because I want to get smarter or better or anything, but that I just want to enjoy a story. Those mm-hmm. are the two genres I find myself turning to. Like you, I wanted some more graphic novel. I, mm-hmm. I thought something like The Dark Knight Returns or Watchmen. Oh, yeah. One of those yeah. seminal superhero tales. Or Absolutely. something like that. Or Alison Bechdel's Fun Home. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, now you're bringing in ones that, yeah, those should have <laughs> been there. Well, I think, and here's what I think is good about the whole thing, is whether or not you agree with the list, it makes you think about just what you said. What would you put on? What would you have Mm -hmm. taken off, you know, and why? And it gets people talking about this in a way that doesn't require a book club or anything like Mm -hmm. that, but just requires, like, you know, thinking about it as something that you care about and that's in your daily life. That's really cool. That's when you know something has arrived. We've all been making our counts. How many books have we read on the list? Have you have you counted? I haven't counted. I probably not as many as you, Chip. Um, Uh, No, no. I've been reading a lot. I'm 35. Okay. Yeah. I've been reading a lot of required texts. Uh, you have, lately, I'm sure, <laughs> um, that were not would not be even my 87th choice mm-hmm. um, of something to read. But some of the older books, of course, I I have read. But in looking at the list, I've added a bunch on my to read list. That's exactly what I was thinking. Going with. Okay, uh-huh. for example, the Jason Reynolds book. You know, when mm-hmm. when they asked me, would you champion this book? I was like, well, I probably better read it if yeah. I'm gonna mm-hmm. gonna champion it. Um, And I love him. And um, then I started seeking out like his YouTube, his speeches and talks with kids. And he's just like, it just opened up a whole other Mm -hmm. avenue of of writing and an author for me to love and admire. Grateful to the list for that. Is that Ghost? Yeah, Ghost. That's one I wasn't familiar with at all. I've already bought, I think, 10 books. Yeah. That yeah. are on the list. Um, I'm borrowed right now reading, and I'm sure by the time this podcast airs, <laughs> I will still be reading Lonesome Dove. I oh, borrowed that from my you, dad. I'd never read it. I've never read it. I never had, and I'm okay. loving it. That's it's just taking they, a while. That's when they actually had me talk about it uh-huh. length. 
was because they they said which one of these do you love and i was like <laughs> lonesome dove what it's do you near love about and dear it? to my heart i love it because to me it is the west in the way that i'd always been told it was um it connects into sort of my family history it it feels like the history of of texas in many ways certainly the mythological way that we see ourselves but also they're based on real people that McMurtry grew up listening to his uncles talk about these stories. So a lot of this is real um, to this, and particularly our part of Texas. I love that it's it's just such a grand epic, and and you don't to me it's like Lord of the Rings in a way, but you know not necessarily having to return a ring to Mordor, but having to take some cattle all the way to where did they go in Montana I always want to say Wyoming but all the way there and it's the same sort of amazing things that they that they find and there is one of the darkest villains in all of fiction in Lonesome Dove Mm -hmm. and that's Blue Duck and uh, you know I've I've told people about this recently and they're like yeah well like so a, a Comanche is is the villain, and I was like, oh yeah, and he's not just any kind of villain, and you should read it mm-hmm. just to find out how horrible of a person he is. I haven't gotten to him yet, yeah. but now I'm excited. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's how <laughs> this is how he's got boys to read. It's like you should read read about Blue Duck. He's evil, <laughs> but understandable mm-hmm. too. Like all great villains, you he is sort of a um, a warped idealist. He has his reasons. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's his reasons. Yes. Okay. <laughs> I've also added uh, white teeth and their yeah. eyes were watching God yeah. and Invisible Man and things that I know mm-hmm. I should have read years ago, but yeah. in my upbringing, the, that kind of yeah. literature wasn't part of the mm-hmm. curriculum. Mm-hmm. And so I'm looking forward to to, to learning more oh, and, and reading yeah. more about that. That makes me happy to hear you say that. I mean, I, and the teacher in me and the American lit teacher in me loves that because, yeah, those are two, like, yeah, their eyes were watching. God is is amazing and Invisible Man. I'm, I'll be interested to see what you think about that. Good. I also got to borrow some of the books from my nieces, which is very cool. <laughs> <laughs> because it, it tell, speaks to the range yeah. of ages that this appeals yeah. to. So Hatchet uh, yeah. and Looking yeah. for Alaska. And now I've not re- I feel so terrible I haven't read John Green. I've read a few and I've mm-hmm. really enjoyed it mm-hmm. a lot. But my kids this is loved one that I have him. Mm-hmm. Loved him. But Hatchet, yeah, Gary Paulson's super cool. Do you believe there's a guilty pleasure do you have a guilty pleasure reading, or do you think that's a thing? I'm, I'm kind of on the the the, the side of the argument that I don't feel guilty about reading yeah, something. Yeah, no, I don't. Maybe Fifty Shades. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's and and that was something I used to argue a bit with certain people in the district, and that's the idea that reading is reading. So I do a lot of reading online. There are websites I regularly visit. And I think that that's valid. Mm-hmm. And so I always had computers that my kids could sit down and read the Internet. Now, if they wanted to read ESPN and they wanted to read sports features, who am I to say that that's, quote, unquote, not reading? Mm-hmm. That's reading as well. Absolutely. And maybe I can take you from that into reading something like Moneyball. Um, yeah. 
and and or Gary Soto's book of short stories, uh, Baseball in August. I mean, maybe maybe we can go from there. But yes, yeah, so I'm with you. I don't believe, not even reading the covers of, you know, the National Enquirer and the grocery store line. It's just like, to me, words on a page or on a screen are worth your time many times. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Any that you have read that you would not have ever wanted on that list (laughs) (laughs) oh gosh yeah there are plenty Uh um one of mine was on the list flowers in the attic (laughs) oh my gosh yeah i can remember when that book like swept my middle school Uh and everybody sort of passed around the Mm -hmm. same copy that they got from their grandmother's house or something Mm -hmm. yeah i checked them out of the library (laughs) see the world that whole series the heaven series i read so much, VC oh, wow. Andrews. See, I I love the way that you're so forthcoming about. Well, why not? <laughs> I read yeah. good some good books in high school too, but yeah, um, I I haven't checked off Moby Dick or War and Peace mm-hmm. on this list, but I have checked off Flowers in the Attic. Yeah, there you go. See, and how many of us could say the same? Many, many. I yeah, a lot of the books that I read were things that I was not supposed to read, and mm-hmm. that I found, um, and I won't say under which family members, you know, like bed hidden behind something. Those are the books I tended to find myself reading. The color purple in my dad's office. Oh, oh wow. Yeah, they they hid it for me three times, I think. <laughs> They took me to the movie, though. <laughs> so it was really so, their own fault. <laughs> oh, gosh. How, yeah. How is it different? <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You could have been growing your vocabulary. I could have been. <laughs> what are your hopes for this Great American Read? Really, it's it's always um, that more people will buy reading, so to speak. I'm, I don't call myself an English teacher. I call myself a literacy salesperson (laughs) because I feel like I'm always trying to sell people on reading. And I'm hoping that this, this book sort of works as, or this series works as an infomercial for books. And people are like, you know, I, I think I want to read. I think I want to turn off these devices look up from my phone look up from social media and look back into a book Mm -hmm. that takes me into this other life into this other world and the the sense of of responsibility for me in a way that was a little bit um even more loaded than having a title like national teacher it's like i am the teacher for all intents and purposes Mm -hmm. on this show and it's like Oh my gosh! I'm, I know I'm not the best English teacher. Um, even at Paladuro, I wasn't. <laughs> and so I, I thought, gosh, I've got to really, really make sure I don't embarrass myself or the profession um, on this show. And then just hearing the craziness of a sentence that is said to me that says, "Oh, we we really love the way you talked about that particular book." You know, when we were talking to Margaret Atwood, she said. <laughs> And George R. R. Martin concurred. <laughs> that it crossed my mind when we were when we were previewing the 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 first episode. I mean, the first person that they interview is George R. R. Martin, mm-hmm. and I'm like, oh wow, my friend Shanna's going to be <laughs> in no. this company. Um, I didn't get to meet anyone. <laughs> I they they had it filmed in various rooms. Um, 
all by myself. Um, so <laughs> I did not get to meet any of those people. <laughs> okay, well then, never mind. You're not asked. No. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. No, you are still the coolest person I know. And thank you so much for joining us today. Oh. It's been a wonderful time. Thank you, Chip. Check Me Out is recorded in the FM90 studios on the Washington Street campus of Amarillo College. Special thanks to Scotty Vanderford, Colin Lutz, and Stevie Brashears who designed our really cool logo. Also a huge thanks to The Mag 7 for providing all of our music. And don't forget to vote for your favorite book at panhandlepbs.org forward slash Great American Read. Great American Read.